It had been a long day out on the range, riding horses, heading up to camp for the adventure of a lifetime. Walter was his name. He was the president of a large company, and he needed a break. He needed to get away from all the stress and troubles of running a company and everybody needing him for something. He just needed a vacation. So he took a trip, a guided trip, up into the high Sierras, an old west kind of thing. This was in a time in California before there were freeways and real roads to go a lot of different places outside the big cities. So he took this adventure up into the mountains on horseback. And there that night before bed, that first night, eating as you can only be hungry when you're in the outdoors, squatting by the fire, eating that steak and those beans, thinking about the night to come and looking at the stars when suddenly something went very wrong. Walter felt a pain down there, slightly lower than the high Sierras in his nether regions. It got worse and worse, faster and faster until he let out a yow. He jumped up and took off running, grabbing at his jeans. The other men that were there with him, the cowboys, jumped up and went off running after him to find out what's wrong. Did he get stung? Did he get bit? What happened? Fear and concern turned to laughter when they found out what really happened. You see, I got to share some backstory here for you. You see, 60 years before this point in time, there was a man named Levi Strauss. And he worked in California in the, in the gold rush and wasn't wonderfully successful at finding gold, but he found a need, which was gold to him in his life and made him a wealthy man. He realized that these miners were wearing through their cotton dungarees really fast doing this hard work. And so he got some canvas that they used to bring supplies over in these canvas bags and he sewed a pair of pants out of them and he designed it so that these things were not going to wear out they were going to have double stitch steams really tough pants and the key factor to know is the places the seams that broke out and wore out he put metal rivets in neat idea one of those places was right in the crotch of a man's jeans and when you're crouching by a campfire and that heat gets on that rivet long enough, well, that's trouble, as Walter found out. It burned him right in the stress point. And when everything got cooled down, and Walter came back slightly farther away from the fire. He asked the cowboys, Does this ever happen to any of you? And they all laughed and said, Well, yeah, every cowboy knows that. In fact, when we get a greenhorn out here, that's part of the fun. We don't tell them about it till they've experienced it. But Walter swore that day he was going to do something about it, and he did. You see, Walter Haas Jr. was the owner and the new president of Levi Strauss and Company. 
So he had the power to do something about it. And doggone it, that rivet from that particular stress point was removed from the design of the clothing. The funny thing is it took 60 years. 60 years of cowboys evidently experiencing that oh-so-special pain that they must be experiencing, and nobody did anything about it until the guy with the power and the ability to do something about it experienced it and made the change. Sometimes positive changes in life take a long time, and sometimes they come rushing all up at once when you get the right person who has the heat applied in the right places or maybe the wrong places. Good morning, my friends. For those of you joining us online who don't know, I'm Pastor Roger. And we're going through a series right now called Come As You Are. In fact, we just sang that song, Come As You Are. It's a wonderful song. And the whole idea of this series is to look at church like an AA meeting, an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. You see, I observed something years ago when I was in Bible college. We had to go attend a 12-step meeting and learn how they did those things. And I thought, man, this is the coolest thing ever. You see, you can come stumbling into an AA meeting, fresh off a drunk. And you're invited in by somebody or you come stumbling in and they don't kick you for being down. You come into that meeting, they say, welcome, brother. It's your first day. Come on in. And when you've been 24 hours free from alcohol, they give you a little chip, a little reward. It says, good job. 24 hours sober. And they do that again at the next day and the next day. And then at a week and then at a month and then at six months and then at a year and 18 months. And every year you get a new and say, man, I did it. I've stayed sober. And the coolest thing about it is you can be 20 years, 30 years sober and something crashes in your life and you fall off that wagon. And you stumble back into a meeting, fresh off a drunk, and nobody's there to kick you. They're not mad at you for breaking down and for falling off the wagon. They don't say, get out of here. You're not worthy of us. They say, welcome home, brother. Here's your 24-hour chip again. And you see, I think church ought to be that way. I think that's what we ought to be. Because there ain't a one of us in this place that isn't a sinner, that isn't broken, that hasn't had troubles. And so when somebody walks in that door in the back and they're coming in and they're, they're thinking, I wonder if lightning's going to strike because I walked into church. I had a lady ask me that. Actually, has been mentioned several times, but a lady asked me that. You think lightning's going to strike me walking into church? And I said, well, I walked in here and it didn't. So that's the thing. We're all broken people. And we have to remember that so we're not jerks to those people who walk in broken because where they are, you used to be. And hopefully where you are, they'll be eventually. So we're looking at this whole church series here, looking through the Bible and looking at it through the lens of a 12-step program. And so we started with step one where we admit that we're powerless over our addictions and compulsive behaviors, over the trouble and sin in our life, that our lives are unmanageable by ourselves. And then we come to step two, where we said, we come to believe that a power greater than ourselves, we call him God, can help restore us to sanity. And step three, we made a decision to turn our lives and our wills over to the care of God, to trust God to take care of this stuff. And then step four starts getting hard. 
Step four is we made a fearless and searching moral inventory of ourselves. Looked at the crap in our lives and we're honest about it. And then that took us to step five, where we admitted these things to God, to ourselves and to someone else to get help. In AA, they call that a sponsor. And they also do that in the, the uh, roundtable part of the meetings, which is usually at the end of the meeting where you go sit with a group of people and you're honest. You go, look, this is what I am. You stand up there and you say, hi, my name is John and I'm an alcoholic. And everybody says, get out of here, John, because you're an alcoholic, right? No. They say, hi, John. Welcome. And so we said here in this building, hi, my name is Roger and I'm a sinner. That's what we want to get to the point of is whatever it is in our lives, we can admit it. We don't necessarily have to stand up here in front of everybody and admit all our deepest and darkest sins. I don't want to do that. But I have people in my trust, in my life that I trust that I can do that with. And I hope that you do too. And if you don't, you let me know and we'll get you somebody. Because you want someone walking along with you through your troubles. That's what makes you get through them. That's what helps you get through them. And it brings us this week to steps six and seven. We're doing those together. This is not an AA meeting, so we can break the rules and put them both together right now. Because it all kind of takes place over a period of time anyway. So step six is we are entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. We're ready for that. And I don't know if you're ready for that. I'm not always ready for that. It's kind of an ongoing process, but I'm ready right now. And then step seven is we humbly ask him to remove these shortcomings. Ready to do it. And then we take the step to say, God, help. I can't do this by myself. This is what's going on in my life. And I need you to help remove this. Please. This is a big step to come to really is to come to the point where we're going to admit that it's time and really accept that it's time to get rid of whatever we're struggling with. And then to ask God, can I tell you why it's scary to ask God? Well, I don't know how he's going to go about removing that from my life. It might be painful. It might be difficult. It most assuredly is going to take some work. If you're an alcoholic, it may be that you say, I've got a trouble with alcohol. God, please remove that from me. Well, think about it. You get to be an alcoholic a lot of times by drinking with friends. And that might require a change there. You might not be able to do that. You might wonder, how can I have fun without alcohol in my life? If that's the trouble, there's no biblical requirement not to drink alcohol. But if it's a problem for you, there is. Same thing with drugs. Maybe you're a rigid control freak. I've known a few of those in my life. I've been a few of those in my life. Trying to maintain control over things. Guess why it's scary to turn that over to God? Because you might have to admit that you're out of control. That you don't have control over everything in your life. Now, some of you have been around long enough to realize you've got way less control than you think you do. And you watch, especially young people run around trying to control every facet of things and you just kind of chuckle to yourself you've been there maybe it's anxiety or depression or the issues of past abuse in your life that you've got to deal with and got to get rid of turning those over to god is scary 
It's a big step because it's a big gap. You don't know what you're stepping across. There's nothing but fear there. When I was thinking about this, it reminded me, there's this, this bridge, and this comes from a YouTube video, and sometimes I watch too many YouTube videos, but there's this YouTube video of this bridge in China. It's, a, it's in a park for thrill seekers. It's like a high ropes course, but there's this one part where you have to cross this bridge, and this bridge is made up about these, of these planks that are about yay wide, but they're not all up close to each other. They're a meter apart. So there's a plank here and there's a plank here and you got to walk across this bridge. Oh, did I mention that that gap is 500 feet above the ground? Anybody want to go with me? Awful quiet. You can look it up on the internet and see these people walking across there. Here's the thing. They're looking at the gap and they're scared and I would be too, I'm sure. Right behind them, the safety rope. Not doing it alone. It's scary, but they can do it because somebody's with them. Now, as we've been going through this series, we've talked about all these steps. And some of us who are older Christians have been around doing this for a little while or a long while, 20 years, 30 years. Maybe it's crossed your mind that this series isn't for me. This is good stuff for, you know, the new believers. This is good stuff for people who need to come to Christ. This is good stuff for people just starting. But I've been there. I've done that. I've got the Christian t-shirts. This is where we start getting into the stuff that's for Christian who's been around for a while. Because the next couple steps are going to apply really to you. You see, the other steps applied to the new person and the believer. And they'll hopefully someday get to this point, especially if those of us who've been around for a while walk with them and help them be that safety rope. But this part comes to us. Because sometimes we think, I'm fine the way I am. I'm getting this stuff. I dealt with all my stuff back in the day. But the truth is, whatever you dealt with back in the day, you'll still have to eventually deal with again. And the stuff that you still need to deal with is the stuff that you've kind of glossed over. It's the stuff that was easier to hide, a little bit less obvious to other people. And so this is the stuff that we need to do this with too. So pay attention as we go through this. You see, if you look at your Bible, you take your Bible and you open it oh, about halfway, and then you take a chunk of that Bible, like about yay, pretty good chunk of the Bible. That section is called the prophets. Those are the prophets, the guys who came to Israel to warn God's people. Um, you're not doing what God wants. You're making mistakes. You're doing wrong things. And here's the thing about the people of Israel at the time. God chose them. They were God's chosen people. And they knew it. And so it was easy to think, hey, we got this taken care of because God loves us. He chose us. And yeah, maybe I worship another idol or two once in a while, but that's okay. God's got my back. And, you know, maybe uh, I sleep with a prostitute once in a while. Well, I'm good. I'm not that bad. I'm not like that guy. And maybe, maybe, maybe um, I don't use my wealth in a good way and I steal from people or I, I oppress 
people from other countries or whatever. But by and large, I'm a pretty good person. It's the stuff that we still do today. We still do this stuff. We think, yeah, I got this. I'm cool. I, 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 you know, it's a little thing or two that maybe I do. It's not that big. That's not screwed up like that person over there. Thing is, God sent prophets to say, you guys need to shape up. You get to knock this crap off or you're going to get in trouble. That's the West Virginia side of me quoting God there. I'm sure he said it slightly differently. So we're going to look at the book of Ezekiel here. And Ezekiel is a time in Israel's history where God has done like many parents do and say, I've had it up to here. Anybody's parents ever said that to them? Got to be an amen on that one. My parents said it to me, though I'd like to stand up here and tell you that I was a good kid, never got in trouble uh, or did anything wrong. Lying is a sin. So I won't do that. So Ezekiel is the prophet that God sends, and he's there right at the end when God's had it up to here. And he's about to send another nation to punish God's people and take them away, conquer their city, take them away into captivity and just, well, pretty much mess up their day. And so Ezekiel, which is a cool book to read, has all these warnings that he does. And then there's a time uh, when they get taken and they get taken away into captivity. And right at the end, when they've lost all hope, there's this pastoral moment that Ezekiel has where he tells them, hey guys, God still loves you. God's still chosen you. And there's a good thing. There's good stuff coming in the future for you. He says, I'm going to read to you from Ezekiel 36, 22 through 38. Ezekiel 36, 22 through 38. Feel free to look in your own Bible if you've got one. If you don't have a Bible and you're here and you'd like one, you talk to me. I'll get you a Bible of your own. If you uh, are at home and you don't have a Bible in front of you, just open BibleGateway.com and another tab, and you can read along at Ezekiel 36, beginning at verse 22, where God's talking to Ezekiel, and he says, Therefore, say to the house of Israel, God's given him instructions. This is what I want you to say. Thus says the Lord God, It's not for your sake, O Israel, that I'm about to act, but for my sake, the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my name, which has been profaned among the nations and which, which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. God says, look, you're walking around with my name on your shirt. You're my people. You're like my team and you're screwing up, and the other people around you are looking and going, what a bunch of hypocritical jerks. Why would I want to be a part of them or around them? How can I trust them if they can't even get stuff right and they're supposed to be God's people? Does that sound like something people say about the church nowadays? People say, I don't want to go to church because it's full of hypocrites. Yes, it is. So is your gym, so is your grocery store, so is your work everywhere else too. But here's the thing. They know we're supposed to be God's people. We're walking around with his name on our shirt. And so the things that we do that are especially egregious make him look bad. And 
God's not okay with that. If my kids go outside the house and act like fools, they got my name on them. It makes me look bad. I'm not okay with that. If you are working for your place of business and you got your polo shirt with the company name on it and you go out and you cut someone off in traffic and flip them off, that looks bad to the company. That reflects on them. And that's what God's talking about here. And so he says, I'm going to clean things up for my name. When I get this stuff changed, other people will see, hey, wait a minute, this God really works. That's pretty awesome. Continuing turn at 24, he says, I'm going to take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. These guys have been taken away into captivity. They're in other places that they've never been before. They're eating food that they've never eaten before. They're hearing and learning languages that they don't know. They miss home. God says, I'm going to collect you. I'm going to bring you all back together. I got to clean you up first. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from your uncleanness. And from your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a, from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in a land I give to your fathers and you shall, shall be my people and I will be your God. I will deliver you from your uncleanness and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the fields abundant and that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways, ways and your deeds that were not good and you will loathe yourselves for having done those iniquities and your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed of those things and confounded by your ways, O house of Israel. God says, look, you got a problem. Got to deal with it. But I'm not leaving you behind. I'm working on you. I'm cleaning you up so that I can take care of you, so that I can bless you down the road. First, we got to deal with this. He says, remember your previous ways as I'm cleaning you up. Remember where you were and what you did. When you're that alcoholic and you're sitting in that meeting, maybe for the 20th or 30th meeting, you've been sober for a month. You know what happens? Works, works for people from any of the 12-step programs. There's a point in time where you're like, I was laying in the gutter. I had a needle sticking out of my arm. I robbed my mom to steal money to get my drugs. I hurt people to get to the point that I was. And there's this thing called shame. Can I be honest with you? Shame is not always a bad thing. In fact, God commends it in certain places. In fact, one of the prophets says, you know, there were these people doing all this bad stuff. And he says, they didn't even feel shame. They didn't even know how to blush. Now, shame is something to deal with. And it's part of our steps in cleaning things up. It's not always a bad thing. Shaming people is and can be a problem. 
Because we recognize that every defect that we have comes from somewhere. Lust doesn't just spring out of nowhere. The guy who visits prostitutes or looks at porn online or whatever, that comes from somewhere. That comes from something missing. It comes from loneliness often. Lust comes from loneliness. Poverty brings us theft. Deep hurts bring us the need for numbing that comes from alcohol and drugs. Abuse generally comes on a person who's been abused. Depression and anxiety comes from life circumstances that beat us down. Too much pride comes from a secret fear that you're not good enough. Control freaks. Well, that comes from fear of losing control. And I apologize for calling you freaks, but we all know that we call them control freaks. We're all freaks. You see, all of this comes from something. It doesn't just spring out of nowhere. And that's been a problem as we've learned to deal with these things over the years to recognize that alcoholism isn't just a moral failing. Drug use, abuse, all of these things, they're terrible. Don't get me wrong, but they come from somewhere. And often when you start dealing with the core issues of where it came from, you can fix the results down the road. Change for the better, though, won't happen until you're willing to let the change begin. And of course, get the help from the right person. The truth is most people don't change until it hurts too much not to. Did you catch that? Most people don't change from these things until it hurts too much not to. Having watched an alcoholic friend go through to the point of destroying his life, he was at rock bottom and had lost everything. I watched him throw away a uh, large money-making job as an investment banker. I watched him throw away his marriage. I watched him throw away the relationship that he had with his kids. I watched him just go so downhill so far. Rock bottom. That's what they talk about. And here's the sad truth is, even then, many people don't change. But God willing, if you recognize that I'm at rock bottom, I'm struggling, I'm dealing with something, whatever it is in your life, then you can go, hey, change can happen if I'm willing to let it happen. And if I'm willing to work with God to make it happen. Now, it takes some people longer than others. Let me give you permission not to feel bad about that. Some people, it takes years to get to the point of needing change and recognizing it and asking for help. Other people get it right away. It's took, taken me much longer in life to deal with some of the things that I've had to deal with. Don't feel bad if it takes you a little bit. There's an old saying that I really like is, if you want to sit in the comfort of a shade tree, the best time to plant it was 20 years ago. The second best time to plant a tree is today. You got to start somewhere. You got to start sometime. 
The problem part in our culture is that we like to celebrate character flaws now. Have you ever had someone say, yeah, I'm a jerk. Deal with it. This is who I am. If you got a problem, you go somewhere else. Well, that's what we call stuck thinking. And generally, the people who come at you with that kind of attitude are the ones that don't realize that all of their problems come from themselves, not from the outside people. Because they don't realize they need to change. Understand that God accepts you for who you are. But he's not going to leave you there. God accepts you for who you are, but he's not going to leave you there. That's why we say, welcome, come as you are. If someone stumbles into this room reeking of alcohol because they just got off a bender, my answer is welcome home, brother. It's nice to meet you. Come on and have a seat. If they come uh, in this room and they're fighting with drugs, welcome. You're welcome. Come as you are. If you come in here dirty and messy and not wearing a suit, that's okay too. That's why we have on our website that our dress code is no dress code. You're welcome to walk in this door in whatever shape, whatever place you are. Because if you know that God can help you, this is the place to come find that. The gospel message is God came down to us where we were to rescue us and bring us to him. We don't have to go to him. We don't got to clean ourselves up for the party that's going on upstairs. We just got to show up. And God will work on cleaning us up. And he'll give us a new suit of clothes and a new body and new everything. And it may take a lifetime of growth, what we call sanctification, of working on things and getting through things. And just when you think, I got it figured out, you realize, oh, crap, I got another thing over here I got to deal with. God accepts you for who you are, where you are, but he doesn't leave you there. In 1 Peter, it says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you from Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Don't get stuck in your old ways. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy. For it's written, you shall be holy for I am holy. As God is holy, he wants us to get there. And that's a process that he works on in our lives. God wants more from us or wants more for us. In Psalm 37, 4, it says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I love that. Isn't that cool? God will give you the desires of your heart. Except that's not what it says. It says... Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You see, God's the one that's going to bring about the change, not us. God's the one who's going to give us what he wants for us that's better for us. You see, I have three lovely children. Two of them especially right now would eat any bad thing they could in their life. The oldest is a vegetarian cheese, that stuff. If I let the younger two of them eat what they wanted for dinner every night. We would be having candy every night and ice cream and cake and pie. Well, uh, I'll be honest. I'm the one who would be eating pie every night for dinner if I could. 
But I want something better for them. I want them to grow. I want them to be healthy. So we're going to have asparagus. We're going to have broccoli. <laughs> we're going to have onions and fruits and vegetables and healthy cuts of meat and healthy portions. Why? Because I want something better for them. God wants something better for us. And though we would choose things that maybe aren't so healthy for us, maybe aren't so good for us, God wants to give us the desires of our heart. Once we delight in him, those desires will be in line with his desires. You see how that works? Our desires in line with him become his desires, and it's the good stuff, the things that uh, he wants for us. There's a verse that a lot of Christians memorize, Romans 8.28, that says, and we know that, uh, we, we know that um, for those who love God, all things work together for the good. And then we remember that part, and then we forget the next part for those who are called according to his purpose. God's got a purpose. It's his stuff. And we like to think of that first part. Oh, God makes everything work to the good for us. Yeah, sometimes some very hard circumstances in life. Your marriage problems might be what God's working on you. That disease that you're fighting might be what God's using to get your attention. The relationships and people who are in your life that might be giving you stress. God might be working on growing you through that. When you delight in the Lord, your will turns towards his, and he's the one who's going to cleanse you. Change for the better won't happen until you're willing to let that change begin and work with the guy who's going to make it happen. Remember those cowboys that had that problem for 60 years? It just took going to the right person to get that solved. Steps six and seven are we are entirely ready to have God remove these defects in our characters. And we humbly ask him to remove these shortcomings. Are you ready to have God work in your life? Even if it might get hard? Are you ready to ask him? Bring it, Lord. Let's do this.